Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Each Everton goal like a nail into the cross on Sunday, Easter Sunday, as Manchester United have beaten 4-0 by Everton in the Premier League. Hello and welcome to Series 4, Episode 37 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with your hosts Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. Back to a almost normal format after a few weeks of, of difference. Uh, I'm in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Jack is in Cape Town, South Africa. So uh, a truly international episode this one. We're also talking about a 3-0 loss to Barcelona in midweek. We're out of the Champions League. Looks like we're probably not going to make top four and not achieve Champions League in that way either. So we're talking all of that as well as our usual extensive regular youth loan and women's roundup. Um, Jack, I think it's best to start off with not talking about the fact that we ran much less than Everton, not talking about the specific goals and specific mistakes from various players um, and far too many players in the Everton game or the Barcelona game, but instead talking about kind of some more general issues. Um, The fact that for so many years United have now been the club that has underperformed more than any other in the Premier League uh, probably for the past five or six seasons maybe with one exception last season and that's a a spell I think undeniably caused by the club management not just by the manager himself whether that be David Moyes, Louis van Gaal, Jose Mourinho, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and also by the players who have been there in that time the players who have been there for the last half a decade who have underperformed and now have nowhere to hide uh, Mourinho and Van Gaal gave these players an excuse they hid them they protected them behind a shield of, of arrogance and um, entertaining press conferences but now there's nowhere to hide their their lack of a- application there was so many so many distractions with those other managers I think that you're right it kind of hid a lot of their flaws but there's nowhere to hide for them now Oli has created an environment and been so public about creating an environment that gives these players no excuses to be underperforming now we are trying to play more attacking football, which was supposedly the issue under Mourinho. We, are, we aren't playing such turgid, boring possession football as we were under Van Gaal. You know, we, we have a culture at the club now on, under Oli that isn't toxic like it was under Mourinho. There are, there are no more excuses for all of these players. 
And I was having this conversation on Twitter with people earlier because in situations like this when we do go through a bit of a crisis, and that, and that is what we're in at the moment, I, I think, there is just people want to jump to either either side of the debate. You know, it's all on the players or it's all on all on the management. And it's just ridiculous. It happens every single time we lose a few games. And the the reality of it is it's never all down to either just the manager or just the players it's always a combination of the boat of both and you throw in everything that goes on behind the scenes into that as well all the way up to Ed Woodward and, and the Glazers because every single person involved in the club is responsible for the position that we find ourselves in now yeah Sunday was a was a, a low point um, even in comparison to, to all the other low points we've had to suffer through over over the last yeah, few 100%. years, um, a four nil loss for Manchester United in the Premier League is is ridiculous, particularly to a team outside of the top six. I think it's the first time we've we've lost by that scoreline to a team outside of the top six since five uh, nil against Newcastle uh, back in the nineties. Um, yeah, it, it's just truly, truly shocking. Um, and I think if if we if we go back to the the Solskjaer appointment, I don't want to. I don't want to kind of use hindsight too much in this because I think that's slightly unfair we I think we were both wary at the time I said it, I thought it might have taken balls to do it that early and I guess if things had continued in good form I would still think that so I don't want to criticize too much um, because hindsight is a fantastic thing to have but even so we we all recognize that the appointment of Solskjaer permanently wasn't necessary at the time and with a caretaker, why, why, why should you ever be rushed into a decision? Why ever take away your options? Why ever take the pressure off the manager and off the players? Because there's no doubt um, that that is partly what was driving on the players and driving on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his management team to, to in that, that fantastic spell of nine consecutive away wins, whatever. Um, Miguel Delaney did a good thread on this during the game. He said one source has said that Woodward is too concerned with headlines, whereas the phrase in the city boardroom is, um, in Catalan, put your head in the fridge. Um, and, it, and every manager has been a response to the last one and not an appointment that stems from, from an identity. Um, so yeah, we're looking back in hindsight, but the social appointment seems like... It, well, the social appointment at that time is certainly a mistake. I think we all said... We all slightly confused by the timing of it. Well, yeah, and it, and if every appointment of each manager is as is as a response to the one that comes before it, the Solskjaer one fits into that mold as well because you know you had David Moyes who was not not unheralded completely, but compared to you know some of the other managers we were being linked with after Sir Alex retired, Moyes was a relatively unheralded name. Then we go the complete opposite way and get one of the most decorated managers for the last twenty or thirty years in Van Gaal, who was very very big on you know, the philosophy and, and making sure that we played in a certain way. And then it, kind of in response to that debacle, you then go to the ultimate pragmatist in Jose Mourinho, who doesn't really care about how the job gets done as long as the job gets done somehow. And then the complaint about Mourinho was that he didn't understand the club properly and that things had gone so toxic to a point where it just wasn't representing what Manchester United was about. And so you go the complete opposite way and a point someone who has as much knowledge of what Manchester United is about as any person who would be in the running for the job. I think I think we should mention Mourinho. I don't think there's much doubt that Mourinho, I remember him calling Pogba the virus in the dressing room, but I don't think there's much doubt that Mourinho was, Mourinho was the virus in the dressing room. But there is certainly an element of toxicity in this United dressing room that has been maintained under Moyes, Van Gaal, Mourinho, and we'll see if it's maintained under Solskjaer this summer. Um, and it's not just 
Paul Pogba and it's not just uh, I don't know the social media giants like Jesse Lingard and stuff um, it, it was before Pogba it was it was players like Angel Di Maria and there's, there's just a culture of underperforming in this Manchester United squad that has lasted um, through all the three permanent four permanent managers now since Sir Alex Ferguson retired and I think, I think the there's a softness me... in the dressing room, which is part of the problem. Like it, we seem to accept mediocrity too easily, and you can see it when when we when we go a goal down, despite the fact that we we've actually had some some decent comebacks in a lot of these games. But you can see as soon as we concede a goal, there's no leader on the pitch. I think that is what that's what we're struggling with at the moment. All of our leaders, or the players that we think should be leaders, are leaders more simply through the fact that they are good players rather than the way that they actually galvanise those around them. And, you know, you, you think about probably, in my opinion anyway, the, probably the best leader that we've had in the so, sort of in my lifetime anyway, it's probably Roy Keane. Roy Keane was the kind of player where even if he wasn't having a great game, the way that he managed to galvanise those around him made him a massive asset on the pitch, even when he wasn't playing at his best. There is no one like that in our team at the moment. There is no one who can take charge, who can rally this team when, when going gets tough. And unless some of our some of our best best players end up taking the ball by the horns and doing everything themselves themselves, there really is no one on our team who is able to galvanise people like that. That is, I think, yeah. a massive thing that we're missing because we we seem to just accept mediocrity too much. And there should be someone in that dressing room who is com- is giving everyone a complete bollocking any time we come in at half time after a performance like that against Everton. But it was kind of summed up in the fact that David De Gea handed the captain's armband to Ashley Young when he came onto the pitch as sub. It's just, there is no captain there. Manchester United do not have a captain in their in their dressing room. And I think, yeah. I think to be fair, that the role of the captain has decreased in importance over the last few years in football. And you see far less of those enforcer players, particularly in midfield. You don't get the, the, the Roy Keane mould player anymore. You don't get the Patrick Vieira, whatever. You don't even get the, the Steven Gerrard type player. Um, so I think I think it's worth keeping that in mind. But still, you see the, the captains of, of the great clubs um, over the past decade: Sergio Ramos at, at Real Madrid. Um, it's it's you you have to have some you have to have more than one leader in your dressing room. Not even just the captain. You look at Real Madrid and the you you know that I'm not talking now. I'm talking in the the Real Madrid team that won three consecutive European Cups. You have got Sergio Ramos as captain. Um, keeping the, the standards up but then you know that the players in the rest of the squad Cristiano Ronaldo Karim Benzema Gareth Bale will be ensuring that everyone else in that team is playing and, and working at the level required for success and the thing that I I, I tweeted and noticed and, and thought about uh, while I was watching the, the Everton game is which players in this Manchester United squad are genuinely 100% safe from any potential clear out any potential cull this summer and I think the the main five who are safe are Rashford, McTominay, Lindelof, Dallow and De Gea and then perhaps you have Shaw and Pogba just below and then perhaps Martial just about in there after signing a new contract but for a maximum of eight players out of a squad of 25 to be safe from a, a Deadwood clear out shows just how low the quality is and I'm not saying all the others should be sold but they all could go and you would neither be surprised nor particularly upset. Alexis, Mata, Herrera, Valencia, Young, Darmian, Smalling, Jones, Rojo, 
Lukaku, Lingard, Matic, Fred. I, I like a lot of these players. I like them a lot. Not all of them. Um, but they could all be sold if the manager wanted them to be gone and no one would really have any big complaints. Yeah, you're 100% right. And that goes to show everything that's wrong with our team at the moment. We don't have enough players who are who are players that you want in a title-winning squad. Put it that way. You look through... You look through Manchester City squad, even Liverpool squad, and, and you know Man, Man City squad is something we've never seen the likes of before. So maybe that's an unfair comparison. But even look at Liverpool squad. Liverpool in every position have at least one player who can come in and do at least a decent job of replacing the starters. In a lot of our positions, we don't even have starters who are capable of doing a decent job in their position. Let alone then having you know one, two, three players deep on the bench who can also come in and 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 do a job. You know. Just look at today, we've had Luke Shaw suspended for both the game in in midweek against Barca and today against Everton. And what do we have to do? We have to play Victor Lindelof as right back because in both of those games, we just don't have the personnel to come in and do a decent enough job. So then we end up having the calamitous centre-back duo of, of Jones and Smalling playing, playing again, ne- neither of whom should still be at the club, even though we've just handed Jones another new contract. You know, it, it's just so many errors that keep piling up from from the club and it's at every single level you know from right down to the players on the pitch and then you know take a bit of a step further back into the, the coaching staff and the managerial staff but then if you're looking at looking at it from the big picture it is both those two layers plus everything that goes on in the board you know there's no point us sitting here and trying to pin the blame on you know just one player or just the players or just the coaching staff or just the board at the end of the day and this is a sad, sad indictment of where we are as a football club at the moment. Every single part of Manchester United is rotten at the moment. It is rotten and it needs to be fixed. I, I just want to uh, pick up on the on the Lindelof point. Um, and, and this is where I think and have some worries about Solskjaer, who is saying the right things in his press conferences and said the right thing after the Everton loss, which is saying, he said... I'm going to be successful here and there are some players in that dressing room who will not be part of that successful team. Perfect thing to say. Now you have to hope he carries that out and the, the thing with playing Lindelof at right back is why are we playing our best centre-back at right back to accommodate two of our worst centre-backs? Lindelof's presence prevented our build-up from the back being so so stodgy and lethargic when he was playing at centre-back and when he was in really good form. Um over December, January and, and February. And when he's at right back and not in the fence, the midfield is, is shambolic because you've got Jones and Small in there who can't play out um, f- for anything um, and always seem to, to fail or, or make the task harder than it should be. And that's where I worry because, yes, it's made slightly harder by the, the suspension of Luke Shaw, but Solskjaer has got to be ruthless and got to say, no, you know what, I'm not going to play Smalling and Jones. I'm going to play Lindelof and, and one of Smalling and Jones there and I'm going to bring someone out from the under-23s, the under-18s to play at right-back or left-back. That That's what you've got to do. You've got to send a message before we get to this summer saying, look, if you're not good enough, I'm not going to play you. And it's also, it's also about building for the future as well. As much as we have a lot still to play for this season, I think most of us would be far happier saying, OK, you know what? realistically the end of this season is less important than what happened in the next two or three seasons so in light of that I'm not going to move Victor Lindelof from his position because he is the future of this club at centre-back at least in one of the centre-back positions so I'm not going to move him at all 
it is more important that Lindelof has more game time and gets more experience being a Manchester United centre-back than it is shifting him out to right-back so that, you know, maybe we don't have to promote an inexperienced academy player. For me, we have to, at this point, be be thinking and be wary of the fact that although the rest of this season is very important, the next two to three years are really what's going to define the, the, the path of this football club moving forward. And so for me, what we're doing right now should be with those next two or three years in mind. And playing Lindelof at right back, a position where he has no future and shouldn't really have a present, that it just makes no sense to me. We, all we're doing is just trying to, we're just thinking about the short term again. And it's what we've, we've been doing for the last three, four or five years. It's just constantly short term thinking. And we need to be thinking about the longer term. We have to be looking forward and thinking about, you know, what's going to happen when next season, you know, we're in a similar similar position. And what if Lindelof is having to play right back for five months if someone gets, you know, an awful injury? You know, it it's again, it just shows our lack of squad depth, which is all down to, to the board not bringing in the right players. The fact that we haven't been improving players that we've bought for the last three or four years under Mourinho. It's, yeah, the, the, the Everton game, I think, as awful as it is now, I hope that in a couple of years we might be able to look back at this Everton game as something of a watershed because that is, I mean, there have been some unacceptable results. Every bad result is is unacceptable at Manchester United. We know that. But this result was maybe the worst I can remember as a United fan. We've had bad results before, you know, the City 6-1 springs to mind. You know, we've been humbled in the Champions League before. We've had some some awful, awful performances in under Moyes, Van Gaal, Mourinho. But this was up there with the worst that I can remember. And the only thing that I can hope comes out from it is that the board, the the, the players and the coaching staff all kind of get their head out of their asses and realise what is going on at this football club and just the scale of what needs to change over the next few months. ...to be seen as... Um or you, you would hope it has forced a change in the minds of Edward Wood and, and the Glazers, and even in, in Solskjaer, who will have to learn from this and and learn what is required this summer. And I saw someone say that look, it's better that this run is happening at the end of this season rather than the start of next one. Um, it's a chance for Solskjaer to learn from, from the mistakes that he has made and, and, and to learn which players need to go and which players... Um, can stay and who has the right attitude so in that way um, that is that is a silver lining and the other silver lining is that yeah hopefully this forces this and the Barcelona game because the Barcelona game showed how far away we are from the European elite this Everton game showed how terrible we we truly can be and the attitude of some of the players in the side and hopefully that shows those two games together um Woodward that, that a proper clear out needs to be done because I think that's what Jose Mourinho wanted at, at Manchester United um, and for all of his faults and how boring it was and uh, the, the toxic environment that he created he had some 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 correct points about the way that the club was run um, and what the club needed to get back to winning ways because let's not forget that Mourinho um, is a fantastic manager it, it didn't work as well as it should have done he wasn't as good as he should have been at Manchester United but he had some of the right points that the board were not uh, backing him to the to the correct amount um, that the structure in place uh, is not good enough and that the squad had players who had terrible attitudes and, and needed to boot up the arse and that's what Solskjaer now has to carry on is that idea but while playing better football and uh, stopping not being 
so so grumpy. Um, and uh, he he has to be ruthless, and I still trust him to make a good go at it after after preseason because it's it's irrelevant of signings, even though they are also vital. Because the game against Everton, we we ran eight kilometers less than Everton, and and this is the main point: the team is not ready for Solskjaer's style of play. And so while he deserves some criticism for this run, undoubtedly, because some tactics have been off. You clearly can't clear him of any criticism, but he needs a pre-season, not just to sign players and sell players, but to get these players fit enough. Because the Liverpool game, when we had three injuries in, in the first half, three or four, and United got eight injuries or something within the space of a week, that's when things started to fall off, even though we then had PSG after that. And it's because the players are not fit enough. Before then, we had this high-intensity defending, attacking, the whole whole team full of energy, and, and, and it was paying off. He's got to go with that next season. He can't change it. He's got to make them fit enough in pre-season. And then whoever we sign, whoever we sell, then it should be better next season for the whole campaign. Yeah, I, it reminds me of when Pochettino first got to Spurs and he said that pretty much every single one of his training sessions for the first month or two of being at Spurs was just focused on fitness because they weren't fit enough to play his style of football. And I think we are we are seeing some of those effects, like you said, with the injury trouble that we had and now just players seem massively lethargic even though Solskjaer has actually been rotating the team quite a lot in the last month or so so yeah I, I do agree that that will that will have a big a big impact on things I think any any calls to sack Solskjaer are just again just reactionary kind of toss honestly it, it's just not really worth even even considering at this point that would just be yet more long term uh, excuse me that would just be yet more short-term thinking from the club and at this point, none of the top targets that we had in mind were available. The top two being Zidane and Pochettino. Zidane has obviously gone back to Real Madrid. Pochettino, having just got Spurs to the Champions League semi-final, looks like he is in no position to be wanting to leave anytime soon. Not not to mention the extortionate amount of money that Daniel Levy would would require us to pay to get Pochettino anyway. And so any calls to, to sack Solskjaer are, are just ridiculous. What we need to get back to now is working on the basics, making sure that going into the end of the season, we actually get, get some positivity back into this football club. I don't think we're going to make top four at this point, although because of Spurs and Arsenal both losing this weekend, we aren't out of it yet anyway. We'll see what happens this week against City and Chelsea. But even if top four doesn't come to fruition, we have to get some positive feeling back into the club because that was the major difference after Mourinho left. And it's why you saw the the brilliant away fans today at Goodison still chanting Ollie's name the whole way through the game, even at 4-0 down, because that feeling is still kind of lingering. But the longer this goes on, the harder it's going to be to maintain. And we saw that United fans probably stuck stuck with Mourinho for longer than, than fan bases of most other clubs would. But there comes a, t- a point, no matter who you are, where the fans will eventually start turning on you for right or wrong. And I think Solskjaer has a, a much longer leash than, than any other manager would at the club at this point. But there will come a time when that posit- positivity goes too far the other way and we start slipping back into the kind of toxic scenario that we're in under under Mourinho. Like I said, the only positive that, that can come out, out of this is hopefully a shift in attitude. And from what Solskjaer was saying after the game, I can sense a slight shift in his mindset, it, almost that he's got very bullish you know I will I am going to be successful here and he's kind of acknowledging and almost now he's saying well 
I've got the job permanently so I can I can come out and say some of these players won't be here and I still will. Yeah, you've kind of answered a question we got on Twitter from uh, at Red Curtain who said if we fail to win our next two games we would have two wins and 11, possibly nine losses. Surely any big club sacks a manager after such a run. Um, and, and reading that I kind of thought well maybe we are too sentimental and, and cautious because Real Madrid and Barcelona would possibly Bayern, Chelsea, United wouldn't. Uh, United I don't think ever will. And I think it's a, a good thing most of the time. But in terms of actual success, yeah, we'd, we'd probably win more by following their lead. But this is a, a special case. The manager's come in halfway through the season after the shambles. It's Solskjaer. I wouldn't sack him, no way. I'm not saying I would, but I do get the point that other clubs probably would and probably would have more success because of it. Um, he also said, uh, does Oli start next season under pressure if or when this run continues? Um, I think Manchester United managers are always under pressure. So it's kind of irrelevant. Um about this run and because this run has already happened I think he will start under pressure uh, whether it continues or not there's no doubt about that uh, there will be huge attention on Manchester United summer activity so it, it, yeah he'll, he'll start next season under enormous pressure there, there's no doubt about that um, we had a Norwegian tweet in Bjorn Lagord said uh, it's too early to sack Ole and thinks top four could still happen even though it may involve us handing the title to Liverpool Um yeah, I t- of it, I'm not saying we should we should sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I don't think that at all. Um, but yeah, I understand the point about other clubs. Other clubs would do it. We should wrap up um, soon enough. Um, but I, I guess the thing is, I've never seen a United side show such a, a woeful response, having committed to such a spineless defeat in a previous game. We were we were booted out of the Champions League mercilessly by by Barcelona in midweek and then show absolutely nothing and concede four at the weekend in the Premier League with with no lessons learned um, we gave Messi and Coutinho too much space to shoot um, against Barcelona and then on Sunday it was it was Gilfie Sigurdsson who we gave too much space to so that's it's uh, the, the spineless nature of the defeat is is so gutting and disappointing um, but we should move on. So anything uh, final to say uh, before the youth loan and, and women's roundup as Manchester United women's bring much more positivity than, than the men's team? No, just just to kind of add on to what you were just saying there about how spineless it was. I mean, there's no point going on about it for that long. But yeah, just to say it, it we just aren't learning the lessons at the moment. Pretty much exactly the same things that caught us out against Barcelona, caught us out against Everton as well. And that's... That's quite a sad thing to have to say. And that is what fr- frustrates people the most. I, I understand that, that players and, and, and even managers go through periods of bad form. It happens. What annoys me is when you're making the same mistake every single week and you're just not learning from it. You know, there have been plenty of times, even under Sir Alex, when we were in bad form and we went through periods where we were putting in bad performances and getting bad results. But the one thing you can't accept is being as spineless as we've, as we've been against both Barca and Everton. And after those performances, you know, that that is what frustrates me the most. It's just how, how the lack of fight and the lack of spirit that we show to even try and mount any kind of comeback in either of those games. Now, before we move on to looking ahead to the Manchester derby on Wednesday, let's look back on what has actually been a brilliant week for United's other teams, as both the women's team, the under-18s and the under-23s all tasted success. First, let's start with the under-23s who had a great week thrashing Newcastle 5-0 last Monday. Mason Greenwood in particular grabbed headlines with a wonderful free kick, that free kick being just one of the five goals scored by United as they continued their good form in the under-23s. 
To the under-18s who have played twice since the last time I spoke to you, there was a 2-2 draw against Man City last week, and then this past weekend, a 2-1 victory against Derby County. But the biggest news this week comes from United's women's team, as they finished their first season back as champions of their division, winning promotion to the Women's Super League for next season after thrashing Crystal Palace 7-0. It was a fitting way to end what has been a triumphant return for United's women's side, and they now next season they will be competing back in the highest level of the women's game. All they have to do now is apply for a licence to meet the requirements of being a Women's Super League side. According to the BBC, there doesn't seem to be any issues with that licence, and there's even been some talks to see whether the women's side could play at Old Trafford next season as well. Whether that will be just for an odd game here or there, or for the entire season remains to be seen. But whatever happens, as long as they do manage to get to get promoted and play in the Women's Super League next season, that will represent a brilliant, brilliant triumph for the women's side, coming back into the game after 13 years out and winning not only promotion, but winning their division in their very first season back. Congratulations to Casey Stoner and everyone in the women's team. It's a, a truly fantastic achievement and I can't wait to see what they might do next season back in the Women's Super League. Right, Manchester City on Wednesday. Uh, could not be worse timing. Uh, seven goals conceded without reply in our last two games. Now we got City and then Chelsea coming up soon after. Um, <laughs> it's funny because people are saying, oh, should, do we want to win or lose against City? I don't think there's much much choice in that question. Um, given our current displays, uh, I, think, I think City could absolutely trounce us. But at the same time, I have this quiet confidence, or well, not confidence, but there's, it would strike me as so classic of Mourinho's side, of Van Gaal's side, and of Solskjaer's side, to be fair, to put in these two terrible performances and then uh, play fantastically against City and, and manage a win. Um, I don't think I, I can't be bothered to talk about whether we should want to win or not. Um, United should always want to win all their games, no matter uh, what the the connotations are. I would rather City won the league than Liverpool, but that doesn't stop me wanting to beat City because to just to stop City from from their their charge towards the title would be fantastic. Um, so I don't I don't want to talk about that. But prediction for the game and, and how things might pan out. I think it'll be very cagey. City looked nervous against Spurs. And even when, once they scored the first goal, I thought they were going to just tear Spurs open. I thought Spurs would have nothing left after, after midweek. But City looked pretty nervy at the Etihad. Um, and it was actually a good noise. And you could kind of see the fans were, were sort of willing the team forward. So I think City are going to be... It's going to be a pretty cagey, cagey game with City... Not trying to hang on, but not trying to lose the game too quickly. I think one of the biggest things to see will will be the, the atmosphere at Old Trafford. Because it's a strange, it's probably one of the strangest derbies I can remember because of the situation that both teams are in. It's going to be a weird one where a United loss would actually probably not displease us as much as it would normally. Obviously, we always hate losing to City and I'm with you that no matter what's going on with their season I'm not going into a derby saying that I want us to lose at all our season is more important than theirs frankly at the end of the day but it's going to be a very weird atmosphere because we're coming off such terrible form in what would normally create a very sort of I hate just using the word toxic over and over again I feel that's what we've said in this episode but would normally create a very toxic atmosphere then layered on top of that, you've got a game against one of our biggest rivals as they're going for the title. But in a situation where 
some of the fans in the stadium probably are, su- are actively supporting our rivals in going for the title. So it's just kind of a, a kind of a bizarre situation. So the atmosphere should be very interesting. I would be very surprised to see us win the game. But like you said, I feel like it would be kind of typical of everything that's happened over the last few years for us to just be our, our massively inconsistent selves once again and put in a brilliant performance against City and, and win 3-0 or something. So honestly, pretty much no point asking me for a prediction on the game because I've got no I idea, I, basically. I can't see a 3-0. <laughs> yeah, I could see us scraping a, a victory in, uh, not an emphatic start, but I definitely cannot see us keeping Manchester City out. And And you know what will happen is, Sergio Aguero will score a, a long shot in the same way that Messi did, Coutinho did, Sigurdsson did, Dinia did when they were given time outside of the box criminally. Um, that's that's my one prediction, even if I, I think City will win 3-1, including an Aguero long shot when we just dick about and give him far too much space outside the box. Um, I think Raheem Sterling will probably score as well. That would be, would be typical when he is playing ridiculously well and is probably... Yeah, but he's uh, strangely he the ex Liverpool and now City players. I think liked by a lot of Manchester United support for what he's doing um, off the pitch, uh, which is a strange one. But we certainly won't be thinking that on on Wednesday night. So not much positivity going into Wednesday. Um, not much positivity going into into the rest of the season, and not really into summer either. Um, United needs some some good signings. United need a very very hard. Uh, pre-season to get them ready for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's style of play he shouldn't be sacked um, he doesn't deserve all the blame he's got the backing you saw it at the end of the Everton game United has lost off 4-0 and Solskjaer goes over to thank the fans for their support and they, they're still chanting his name there's a reason for that and that's because I think most Manchester United fans or particularly the match going fans believe that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer can do well here can win something at Manchester United but some extreme changes are needed at the top of the club. For for more from Jack throughout the week, you can find him on Twitter at at UTD Tate's T-A-I-T and you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end and that's where you can send in any questions for the episode next week. Thank you for listening as always to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Back to uh, back to normal uh, although my audio quality is a, a bit less good than normal since I'm in 8,000 miles away from my my normal recording place in my house. So thank you for listening to Series 4, Episode 37 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. We'll be back next week, hopefully, with something more positive. Cheers for listening. Have a great week. Goodbye. Network.